This episode is brought to you by Squarespace. Start building your website today at squarespace.com. Enter offer code Irish Times at checkout to get 10% off. Squarespace's European Operations and Customer Service Office is located right here in Dublin. Squarespace, build it beautiful. You're listening to the Irish Times Worldview Podcast. Welcome to Worldview, perspectives on foreign affairs from the Irish Times and its network of foreign correspondents around the world. I'm Patrick Smith. Europe's refugee crisis has been having a transformative effect on politics all over Europe. In Denmark and Sweden, it's given a major boost to two far-right parties which have emerged as the largest parties in both states, the Danish People's Party and the Sweden Democrats, the latter with its roots in neo-Nazism, of which more later. But first to Paris and France, where the issue has helped to drive the National Front to an historically high performance in the weekend's regional elections passing out the country's two main parties for the first time with an impressive 28%. The Front National now leads in six of 13 regions and for the first time in the second round is likely to take control of one or more of these regions. I'm joined by Lara Marlowe in Paris. Lara, is this largely a reaction to the refugee crisis and the Paris shootings or the gradual effect of the party's campaign in recent years to reinvent itself with a new leader and to court respectability? Uh, Patty, I'd say all of the above. I'd say especially the November 13 attacks that killed 130 people in Paris. I mean, the National Front leaders themselves are saying that that this is what proved to the French people that they were right all along to say that immigration uh, was was an instrument of of uh, Islamization. Um, they're, they're using it very much. And people, I was watching French television last night, um, little villages in Aquitaine down in the Bordeaux region, and over and over and over people would say, we're afraid of Muslims, we're afraid of Muslims, and, and this has really caught on. I mean, another important factor which we haven't mentioned is the ineptitude of the last two administrations, uh, both Sarkozy's uh, right wing, they, they now call themselves Les Républicains, uh, and the Socialist Party, who've been in power for the last three and a half years, uh, have really have totally failed to turn around unemployment, to improve the economy, or even to manage and administer the country in any meaningful way. So people are fed up with traditional politics, which really plays into the hand of the National Front. And then these attacks on, on November 13 were sort of the nail in the coffin. Uh, people are now saying, I mean, some of my best friends, people in the government, uh, are, are the, the media are speculating very, very much on whether or not Marine Le Pen could actually become president of France in 2017. That's looking more and more like a possibility. And she's very much uh, a different sort of politician uh, to her father. Uh, Yes and no. Uh, She actually looks and sounds more and more like her father. She's put on weight and she, she, she really does look like dad. Uh, and frankly, there's not that big a difference. Uh, their European policies are the same. Uh, the only real difference is that she has shared all the anti-Semitism, which uh, Jean-Marie Le Pen had a, had a weakness for, used to talk, make jokes about uh, crematoria and, and ovens and, and things like that. But he, and he's still at it. The candidate who's opposing his granddaughter, Marion Maréchal Le Pen, in Provence-Alpes-Côte d'Azur, um, was he, he, Jean-Marie Le Pen posted a video on Twitter of this candidate from Les Républicains uh, at a Jewish festival. 
Uh, and um, obviously the, the implication is that, you know, this guy is a friend of Jews. We can't have you voting for people like that, can we? Okay, now, now that enrages Marine, and, and the main plank of her rehabilitation of the party has been to just drop co- totally all anti-Semitism. Uh, but she's every bit as Islamophobic as her father. She's, if anything, more so. I mean, uh, here's a quote uh, from Marine on December 2nd in, at a rally in Nîmes. She said, if we fail, i.e. in fighting the war with, with uh, uh, jihadism, she said, Islamist, Islamist totalitarianism will take power in our country. Sharia will replace our constitution. Radical Islam will substitute itself for our laws. Our buildings will be destroyed. Music will be uh, prohibited. Uh, religious purification with its trail of horrors. And she talks about uh, the ideological world war. Um, and she says, yet again, Islamic fundamentalism would not have developed in our country if we had stopped immigration years ago. Uh, so she's, she's going very strong. And Marion, her niece, is, is even stronger. She says if, if French people want to be Muslims, they have to um, adopt the habits and, and uh, ways of, of... She talked about Greco-Roman tradition and 16 centuries of Christianity. Uh, and she says, at, in our country, we don't wear... We don't live in jellabas, that's an Arab robe. And we don't wear um, long veils, and we don't uh, have big mosques, you know. So they're, they're really going stronger and stronger on the anti-Muslim uh, line. And, of course, Marine and Marion both did exceptionally well in their own constituencies. That's right. They both got more than 40%. I mean, uh, the National Front is saying that they're, they expect to win four or five regions. I think it's pretty safe bet they'll probably win three. They'll win Provence, Alpes-Côte d'Azur, which, of course, was for a very long time... Jean-Marie Le Pen's constituency as a member of the European Parliament. Marine is almost certain to win the Nord-Pas-de-Calais-Picardie region, and her right-hand man, uh, Florian Philippot, will probably win the eastern, large eastern region. Former President uh, Nicolas Sarkozy had seen these elections as an opportunity to clearly relegate the Front National to second place and establish his credentials as the real leader of the right. It seems a really quite a bad miscalculation that suggests all sorts of problems for him. Does it make a challenge to his leadership more likely? Uh, yes, I think that the Les Républicains, Sarkozy's party, will have their own sort of night of long knives after the second round of the regional elections. Um, they had a party meeting yesterday, and two members, uh, Jean-Pierre Raffer, who was a prime minister, and Nathalie Kosciusko-Morizet, uh, who was a very promising uh, young former cabinet minister, refused to accept Sarkozy's orders um, that the party should vote uh, for their own people in the second round. In the past, there's what they call the Republican Pact, where if the National Front was ahead... In, in a contest, the Socialist and Sarkozy's party, the right, would uh, vote for whichever candidates from the established parties had had the better chance of beating the National Front. And uh, Prime Minister Valls, the Socialist Prime Minister last night, said um, that in those three uh, constituencies, which I mentioned, where the, the National Front looks likely to win, Socialists should vote for the right, for Les Républicains. And Sarkozy um, just answered, well, well, that's very nice of you, socialists, thank you very much, but we're not going to do the same. We're not going to vote for you no matter what. Um, our, our followers wouldn't understand. Uh, so he's, he's really going it alone, and he's enraging um, 
a lot of his, his own party who believe that the National Front is a greater evil than the socialists and that they, they must be beaten at all costs. So there's a lot of dissent within Sarkozy's party on that, and, and it will be interesting to see if it helps Alain Juppé, who would be his chief rival for, for um, the presidential candidacy next year. It will be interesting to see if, if that helps Juppé. I've seen a poll, though, that suggests that about half of the Les Républicains supporters would support a pact with the Front National. Ah, <laughs> that's the other problem. You see, you have people like Raphael and Kolodzisko Moise um, to the center of the party who, who really detest the National Front, but you do have the far right of Sarkozy's party who are very drawn to the National Front. In fact, uh, some of them, like um, uh, Nadine Morano, um, actually look like they'll probably join uh, the National Front because they've been more or less excluded from Sarkozy's party for all, all kinds of for saying outrageous things. Uh, and Sarkozy certainly, um, in 2007, played very strongly to National Front voters. Uh, he, he hired an ideologue called Patrick Buisson, who was a, uh, very close to the National Front, and he, he went very strong on national identity and Islam and security and all of these issues which are so important to the National Front. And he, he actually, the statistics showed that he, for a very short period, he won over a very large segment of National Front voters, and then they became disillusioned with Sarkozy and went back to the National Front. So this is what he's trying to do again. He's trying to to draw people away from Marine Le Pen. But Marine always quotes her, her father, who said, if you give people a choice between the copy and the original, they'll choose the original. And uh, I think that the voters are pretty exasperated with Sarkozy. His presidency was a failure. And, and I think they're going to choose the National Front over the Les Républicains. Well, as you, you said, these are, these are the last elections before the presidential election in April 2017. And it looks like Le Pen at least is, is almost guaranteed uh, to be in the first uh, or second place in the second in the first round, and the issue then looms very large for the, for the socialists in particular, uh, whether they should withdraw in the second round and leave presumably Sarkozy a clear run at Le Pen. They've done so in these regionals, as as you said, but not without some problems in their ranks. I gather in the north, uh, a candidate has refused to withdraw. Um, how how is that discussion going in the socialist party? Uh, it's also a, a subject of division, but the, the Socialist Party, if, if anything, is in even worse uh, shape than, than Sarkozy's uh, Les Républicains. Jean-Pierre Masseret is the candidate. He refused to withdraw. He got only 16% of the vote in the first round, and he's, he's uh, standing firm and refusing to, to back out. And, and Manuel Valls um, all but uh, excommunicated him from the Socialist Party last night. I mean, he basically said on, on the evening news, you know, I, I think this is despicable. Um, yeah, they're, they're both facing it. The thing that strikes me most about all this is that when Jean-Marie Le Pen made it to the runoff in the presidential election in 2002, it was an earthquake. It was an event of incredible uh, political importance. And you had hundreds of thousands of French people pouring in the streets uh, to vote, uh, to express their, their dissatisfaction with this against the National Front, against Jean-Marie Le Pen, saying this country is a Republican country. We don't want these kind of people in you know, racist, anti-Semitic, uh, extreme right-wing parties in power. And there was a huge backlash. Uh, people would not accept it. 
And this time now, you've got the National Front poised to to win regional elections, certainly drawing in the, the highest score in the first round. There's not a peep out of the public. I mean, there's obviously pretty much wall-to-wall media coverage, but there's nobody is even thinking about demonstrating. I mean, there is more or less total acceptance of it. And, and I think that's a huge achievement by Marine Le Pen in just um, a few years since she took over the party. She has made it acceptable. She has made it the main opposition party. Instead of having a bipartisan system now, France has, has three parties, yeah. has three leading parties. And of course, um, the the candidate that that her Jean Marie faced was Chirac, and Chirac and, and Sarkozy are certainly not uh, the same sort of candidates at all. Uh, Sarkozy is particularly despised by many rank and file socialists, so oh, it, it's right. it's very uh, difficult for them to contemplate voting for Sarkozy, even if it is against Le Pen. Uh, absolutely, I know a lot of people who say that if it, if it was a choice between Sarkozy and Marine Le Pen, they would just stay home. I mean, even in 2002, you had a lot of people wearing clothes pegs on their noses when they went to to vote, or they wore rubber gloves to express uh, how difficult it was for them to vote for Jacques Chirac. And I I think Chirac's problem was, after his first term, uh, he wasn't wasn't hated. He was was seen as being kind of inept and, and not really having done very much for the country, although he did keep it out of the Iraq War. Um, but, but there wasn't that sort of personal revulsion or rejection that so many people feel for, for, for Sarkozy. Uh, and frankly, it's, it's quite easy to understand why people would vote for Marine Le Pen over François Hollande or Nicolas Sarkozy, if those are indeed the candidates she would face in the runoff, uh, because both of them failed in, in their presidencies. And of course, François Hollande has spectacularly failed to capitalise on his response to the Paris shootings. Uh, well, yes and no, Paddy, because he he shot up in the opinion polls. I don't know if, if you can call it a success, but he, he went up into the forty percentile range, which is which hasn't been the case for him uh, since just shortly after his election. So he did gain a lot in popularity. I think he's also counting on the the COP twenty one climate conference. Uh, the agreement, which we're almost certain to have on Friday, to boost his popularity. Uh, but it doesn't seem to have any effect in the, in the ballot box. It didn't have any effect on the regional elections. And uh, I think people are just fed up with the, these established parties. Well, it seems that France and French politics are entering a very interesting new, new phase. Thank you very much, uh, Lara. This episode is brought to you by Squarespace. Start your free trial site today with no credit card required at squarespace.com. When you decide to sign up for Squarespace, make sure to use the offer code IRISHTIMES to get 10% off your first purchase. Squarespace. Build it beautiful. Marine Le Pen is not alone. The politics of Islamophobia and opposition to migrants has taken strong root in a number of European countries in Denmark and Sweden, in the Netherlands and Austria, in Switzerland too, far-right nationalist movements are all leading in the opinion polls as the single most popular parties. In Denmark, the rise of the Danish People's Party has been slow and steady. In Sweden, the success of the Sweden Democrats has been more rapid, a response largely to the mass influx of migrants, courtesy of the country's open-door policy. Now the government has gone into reverse and is closing borders, not least the Orosund Bridge, which links the country with Denmark. Derek Scally, our Berlin correspondent, is in Stockholm. Derek, 
Sweden is following Germany in radically revising its stance on refugees. It took in 160,000 refugees and migrants this year, more per capita than any other European country, a population greater than that of its fourth largest city. What is it doing? Well, as you said in your introduction, Paddy, it seems to be saying um, we can't, this can't continue. And it's a humiliating climb down for the Swedes because they consider themselves a a humanitarian superpower. Um, they may not have the, the monarchy and the, 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 the empire that they once had, but in terms of national pride and being humanitarian power as uh, uh, sort of the high watermark of humanitarian action in the world, Sweden, as you said, with Germany, has been leading the way on refugees, but with numbers heading towards 200,000, uh, 10,000 arriving a week. Um, Sweden uh, earlier this uh, late last month pulled the emergency brakes and they said this can't go on uh, with uh, Germany and Sweden just carrying almost effectively the entire burden. So what they've done is they've imposed uh, spot checks which have now become permanent checks on the Öresund Bridge which is the connector between Copenhagen and Malmö and um, this is used by over a million commuters each day and this has created sort of a almost like the the ultimate European uh, metropole of, of almost 4 million people living in uh, cheaper Sweden and commuting over to slightly more expensive Copenhagen and many people are alarmed that uh, by pulling up the drawbridge, uh, so to speak, and imposing checks that Sweden has signaled, uh, sent us a fatal signal, actually, that anyone who tries to help out in the humanitarian crisis will be left alone and that even the humanitarian superpower uh, cannot cope with this wave. Now, of course, there is another way of interpreting it, is that this wouldn't have happened if, uh, if everyone in Europe had uh, pulled their weight. But, of course, if you're a populist in Denmark or in Sweden, you wouldn't let that get in the way of uh, milk this for all it's worth. What effect has shutting the bridge had and how stringent are the new rules? The effect is really that any trains leaving from uh, leaving from Copenhagen and heading over into um, Sweden are stopped at Copenhagen Airport. Um, the, this is a, a new uh, rule that we've heard of in the last few days that uh, people would have to get off the train, produce their papers and their ticket, prove who they are, and uh, only then will they be allowed to get back on the train and continue on. So we're talking about uh, delays of of up to an hour. So the notion of free-flowing movement and the whole principles of Schengen are crumbling in one of the countries that was always held up as proof of what Schengen can achieve of prosperity and openness for all. And um, we've seen similar things happening in Denmark. Uh, the, the new centre-right government there that came to power in June, they've put up uh, 34 initiatives, uh, fast-tracked uh, through Parliament, everything from limiting the duration of um, refugee uh, residency permits and postponing the right for people to bring uh, to reunify their families. They've also been attacked by uh, human rights groups saying that this is passing Parliament with unhasty, uh, unseemly speed. So what you're seeing in both countries, uh, whether it's a social democrat government, as in Sweden, which is more open to refugees, or a centre-right government, as in Denmark, which was very critical towards refugees, both are um, expediting uh, tightening up of refugee policy, and uh, in, in both cases with uh, hard-right parties breathing down their necks. 
Well, talk to me a bit about the nature of the, of the Sweden Democrats. They're a, they're a very un-Swedish party, certainly in, in, in terms of, of, of observers from outside. And they, they I believe, have neo-Nazi roots um, and remain unacceptable as a, as a potential coalition partner. Yes, this is the issue. Um, the Sweden Democrats are they're a long runner in the Swedish uh, political landscape, but they've always been put out really uh, in, uh, put out sort of in a in an asbestos uh, coated room that no political parties will ever deal with them. And uh, even after last year's elections, um, the Social Democrats and everyone teamed up to um, avoid having to do business uh, with the Sweden Democrats. But the Sweden Democrats claim they're not a uh, neo-Nazi party. They have a young, sort of perfect son-in-law uh, leader, Jimmy Eckerson, and he's extremely articulate, he's extremely pleasant, and he is the acceptable face of uh, hard-right extremism in Sweden. And he has basically struck gold by putting his finger on this point that you do not discuss in Sweden, this uh, consensus that this is the Swedish way of doing things. And he is saying, well, we may have a Swedish way of doing things. We may be, consider ourselves a humanitarian superpower, but guys, things have changed. This is a historic challenge. This is a, uh, this is a crisis. And Sweden is quite simply swamped. And that is, uh, that is touching a nerve with voters. And uh, party just continues to rise and rise in polls and many political scientists I speak to say they worry it's only a matter of time before um, the notion of keeping them in Coventry or keeping them out of uh, the political mainstream uh, crumbles and some political party decides there's more to be gained by working with them than ostracizing them. That's what's already happened in Denmark where you have a minority conservative government uh, who are, have actually polled fewer votes in the last election in June than the far-right um, Danish People's Party. So whereas in Sweden, the extremists are still, to a large extent, uh, on their own, but gaining support in, in Denmark. They're right in the, the heart of the Danish political system, pulling strings, and many people would say are actually the most powerful party going. Now, we've seen a shift from the government on migration policy quite dramatically, uh, driven by the social, uh, the Sweden Democrats. But uh, is there also a move um, away from the, the, what we would have called the Swedish model, the sort of democratic um, consensus model, uh, a welfare uh, state? Are, are the Sweden Democrats reshaping that agenda too? Yes, they're just saying, um, like a lot of populists, they say we aren't the problem. Um, just this, this consensus, this sort of political correct consensus is the model. And it's a, it's a, it's a button populists like to push and they say, um, we're actually, we are, we are on the side of the people and the politicians haven't realized that times have changed and people's priorities have changed and people are feeling more vulnerable and we need to prioritize who benefits from the Swedish model. And um, as I said, it's striking, uh, striking a chord of people who see um, 10,000 people arriving a week and saying, uh, how, how far can the Swedish model be stretched? Of course, one must point out that the Swedish model has always been something that's existed more in sort of British and Irish minds. The Swedish model has always been a movable feast. Um, but many people are worried that the, the smorgasbord of social welfare has been picked clean and uh, they need to prioritize who gets resources. Now, again, Sweden is still a million miles away from Denmark. It is quite striking, these two neighboring countries. They're really at opposite ends of the political debate on this. But uh, it seems that Sweden is drifting more towards Denmark. Denmark is not going anywhere towards Sweden. 
And, and in the last 10 days, Denmark has voted in a, another European referendum, uh, this time on, on opting out uh, of or maintaining its opt-out from your European uh, justice legislation, notably its common asylum policies. And the, the voters uh, voted 53% to retain the status quo uh, against 46% uh, percent, uh, against. What, what was at stake in this referendum? I think in this referendum, on the one hand, was, as you said, this rather technical issue of whether or not uh, Denmark would maintain its opt-out on justice and home affairs, issues, the details of which I won't go into. But it was also about whether or not Denmark uh, cooperates with Europol. And many people in the Danish uh, political establishment said at a time like this, particularly after the Paris attacks, we need all the cooperation we want. But um, it was, uh, for many Danes, it was considered a, a chance to deliver a, a slap around the ears to the European establishment and to their domestic political establishment. And with a very high turnout of 72%, over half, 53% voted no. And that was considered more of an emotional um, vote against the Danish establishment and in favour of the anti-immigration Danish People's Party. They're the largest party in Denmark, and though they have not entered government, they remain on the opposition banks. They um, they they tolerate the government, and they, they shape policy, and it is, many people would say, they are calling the shots. They set the tune to which all the other politicians in Denmark dance, and um, and that really that really is uh, is the case. They're, ever since they've arrived, in, the new government has arrived in June, they've just been tightening up, tightening up, tightening up and the one thing that the Danish People's Party hasn't gotten through so far is they want refugees, refugee villages uh, erected around the country to house people. Of course the, the striking thing about the refugee debate in Denmark is uh, they got uh, about 10,000 people in the first nine months of 2015. That's same amount of people who are arriving in Sweden each day. So the Danes are more alarmed about migrants and refugees, but they don't have anything even beginning to resemble uh, what the Swedes have. So it seems to be a classic case. People are more afraid of refugees where they aren't. And um, But that doesn't seem to hurt the, the rise and rise of populists uh, in Denmark. Thank you very much, Derek. That's all for today. My thanks to Lara Marlowe and Derek Scally and to producer Declan Conlon and Carrie White on sound.